God bless you, everybody. This is Joshua Cooper, and you are listening to another episode of A Word for Today. Happy Wednesday. God bless you. I know that God is doing amazing things in your life. And we are going to conclude this interview with T.D. Jakes on how to build your vision from the ground up. It is so powerful because many of us get caught up in the process and we sometimes prematurely end too soon. Sometimes, yes, it is time to just say, you know what, this is just not working. But don't just give up so fast. You know, I heard somebody say this. WD-40 actually started out as WD-1. And until he got to WD-40, meaning 40 times, he didn't get the name right. And now look at where WD-40 is. In every store, everywhere you go, you see it on TV. If anyone is doing anything that needs to get a nut loose or a bolt or anything like that, the first thing they think about is WD-40. So don't give up and know that Jesus is on our side. Here's the interview. God bless you. I wasn't, I had no idea that the potter's house was in me. You stumble into it. But until you dignify the 40, you don't get the 40,000. The problem today is that people are so busy going after the 40,000 that they don't respect the 40. And if you don't do your best with the 40, you won't get to the 40,000. So all of my life, I stumbled into relationships and situations and circumstances that I had no idea were going to happen in my life. But as you dignify the present with your attention, yeah, I like that. To be present in the moment. I like that. That is so important. And sometimes I have to make myself do it because I'm such a planner. I'm so strategic. I'm really 10 years ahead of where the calendar is right now. I'm waiting on it to catch up. I got plans. You are so strategic. That's what blew my mind about you. I, I thought you were just a cyborg before I met you. <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? I thought you were Look just... Shut up, dude. He cursed at me. <laughs> I thought I thought there, <laughs> I thought there was this force of nature. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes was a force of nature, and uh, some little things that I've seen, some little things that I've noticed. There's a. Um, I thought I would use a prop. Bring me that. Uh, yeah, that one. That one. Th- this is from the book. I saw. Um, thanks, Jonathan. See, he didn't want to come all the way up. He just stopped short. <laughs> won't get blessed like that, Willie Bishop. You gotta he come all the way. Fell short of the glory. All of sin. Um, but I love the quote in the book. You compare our vision to architecture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you talk about how if you plan it with a pencil, mm-hmm. you can weld it with steel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what surprised me about you because um, you're so gifted. Um, there's, there's no denying that. When I saw the systems, the structures, the thought process that goes behind who you are, it almost made me depressed because <laughs> I realized, oh, this isn't magic. Um, you may have stumbled into it from one perspective, but from another perspective, it was strategic stumbling. At least you were trying to do something. I Let, let me interrupt you. It, it, please. You, you stumble into it 
God gives you an opportunity, and what you do with that opportunity is your gift to Him. Got it. You understand? When God gives you an opportunity, instead of just jumping on the opportunity, you're supposed to see what it can be. I tell them all the time, you know, God, God never made not one table. Yeah, I love this. Do this. This is this God, is God. This is really. God never made a chair in all of his years of being God. He's never made a chair. He's never made a table. He just made a tree. And the rest of it was up to us. When God hands you a tree, imagine a table, a chair. Imagine a wall in a room. Imagine a log cabin. Imagine what it can be. Imagine what it can be. Imagine what it can be. God of mercy. If he hands you a child, imagine what it can be. If he hands you a spouse, imagine what he can be. Oh, God, I feel his power. I feel his presence. I was out. Your church is rowdy. They shout and stuff. I didn't know that. I was out. uh, (laughs) What did you think we did over here? (laughs) This is Elevation Church. To see him at University City. Look at University City. What's up, University City? Hello. So I'm in South Africa and I'm on a safari and I'm 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 really like tripping off of this safari and I'm out here with all of these big animals and stuff. And I notice the elephant is moving around. The elephant is strong and he's big and he's tough and his power's in his weight. And he throws his weight around. And he throws his weight around. What can you do with him? Because he's so big. God made him big as a defense. The lion roars. When he roars, everybody is almost paralyzed in fear. Because God gave him his roar as his defense. The cheetah says, I can't roar like that, but I can run like the wind. The cheetah goes running through the woods because God made him able to run because that's his defense. The eagle spreads its wings and soars into the air and says, I can't run, but I can fly. God let the eagle be able to fly because it was his defense. And I'm walking around in the jungle and I said, well, Lord, I can't fly like the eagle. I can't run like the cheetah. I can't roar like the lion. And I can't throw my weight around like the elephant. What did you give man as his defense in in the whole ecosystem of human, of, of life force? What did you give me? He said, I gave you a brain. Your brain is your defense. That's why God didn't make chairs. He only brings it halfway. Mm-hmm. And then lets you imagine, collaboration, develop. Do you understand what I'm saying? The problem with church people is that we are taught that God makes furniture. So we pray and 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 pray. Table, I need a table. God, give me a table. Give me a table, Jesus. Just one table, Lord. If you give me a table, I'll praise you. If you give me a table, I'll serve you. And God says, I don't do that. I make trees. I want you to look around your life for trees. 
not tables. God's going to bring it within the reach of your mind. And your creativity is going to take it the, the rest of the way. And it's going to turn into apps. And it's going to turn into Apple phones. And it's going to turn into computers. And it's going to turn into satellite systems in the heavens. Look at what all we were able to do. No other, no other creature, no other species has sent satellites up into the air, created smartphones. Look at what we did with our head. Why are we in church not using our heads? I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, in my neighborhood, they got this song, you know, that the young people used to sing and stated now, but they say, shake your money maker. Yeah. And they go to, uh, uh, to twerking, you know. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah. I, I ain't gonna show you. I got a couple of books I ain't gonna show you, but they... They, they go to twerking. I told my church, the next time you hear that song, play your moneymaker, don't shake nothing down here. Shake this with me. As a man thinketh, so is he. When you start talking about the type of strategic that I am, God gives me raw elements. And I stare at them. I stare at what I've been given. Like I stare at a text. Mm -hmm. I preach the way I do, not because of what I know about the text, how long I stare at the text. I just stare at it. And stare at it. Stare at it. I look at my life. I look at my wife. I look at my kids. I look at my age. I look at my stage. I look at my influence. And I stare at it. And imagine what it could be. And I build my strategy from my stare. See, I don't have time to be gazing at what you're doing. You understand? That's not going to help me. That's none of my business. God bless you. If I can help you, you know I will. But I'm not over in your business. I'm never going to be over in your business because every time you turn around, I'm staring at mine. For this season, for this stage, for this age in my life, what could I do with what I have left? Your miracle is never in what you lost. It is always in what you have left. If you're down to a handful of meal, that's all you need. If you're down to two fish and five loaves of bread, that's all you need. And so when you start looking at what you have left, stop grieving over what you lost. Because if you needed it, you wouldn't have lost it. It, it might only be a pot of oil, but if it's left, the miracle's always in what's left. So what can you imagine with that? That woman, that pot of oil would have never done anything if you didn't pour it. It would pour as long as there was capacity to receive. Yeah. So when you start talking about being strategic, and this is going to help you a whole lot. For me, once I envision where I'm going, then I can tell what I don't need. Let's talk about that. You see, if I packed to go on this trip based on where I was going, I checked the weather. I looked at the places I was going to speak and everything that I thought I would need for where I was going, I put in the bag. And anything, I, I didn't pack no swimming trunks because I figured I wasn't going to need them. Why do I load down my bag with things I don't need? Okay. 
I want I want to circumspectly, with great precision, tailor my life down to the things that are necessary to get me where I'm trying to go. Uh, Stephen Mansfield, who is the CEO of Southern Methodist Hospitals, this chain of hospitals throughout Texas, uh, a multi-billion-dollar corporation, uh, healthcare is a business. He, he also was the former president of the Dallas Regional Chamber of Commerce. And as he moved out of office, I was there. Incidentally, I am the first clergy to ever be on the executive board of the Dallas Chamber of Commerce. And there I am on the executive board. They control all the wealth that comes in and out of our city and all the planning and all the preparations to be able to move the city of Dallas forward. And there I am in, the, in a room full of CEOs and executives, and I'm listening at them talk, and I'm staring. I'm staring. I can tell a great preacher sitting in a crowd by how he stares while I'm preaching. It's all in the stare, brother. I'm staring. And Stephen says something. He says, uh, he said, all of us CEOs know it is not where we're trying to go that is the problem. You can get great consensus from all of your staff on the goal. And we spend all of our time talking about the goal of where we're trying to go. He said, but all of you CEOs know that's not the problem. It is not where we're trying to go that is the problem. It is what are you willing to leave behind to get there? When he said that, I ripped out my phone like I had to call somebody. I, was, I had both thumbs. I very seldom use both thumbs. I had both thumbs. I was just a packet at a packet at a packet. It's what are you willing to leave behind? If you're going to soar, yeah. if you're going to soar, you have to break a law to soar. The law is the law of gravity. The Wright brothers had to figure this out. That every time they tried to go up, Isaac Newton was right. Something kept pulling them down. There are people in this room that every time they go after their dream, something keeps pulling them down. They want to open up a not-for-profit. They want to open up a health care. They want to open up a home for unwed mothers. There's some lovely, good things. It's not about being rich. It's about purpose. That they're trying to do, but every time they try to do it, they, that something keeps pulling them down. There is a law that always wants to pull you down to where you came from. Yeah. You came from the dirt. And where you came from will always call you back. You have to escape the gravitational pull of where you came from. And in order to do that, you have to break through into a higher law. The higher law is the law of aerodynamics. But you have to break into it. And what I need the force for, the reason I need the runway to get my engines ramped up is because when I come up against it, and this is where young people make a mistake, they underestimate the pull to fall backwards. They saw planes take off and they said, I can do that. But they underestimate how much force it takes to break through the gravitational pull that brings you back down. So when they fall back down, they give up on themselves and they stop believing themselves. Whereas if you would just go faster at it and go harder at it, you would break through the law of gravity. Oh, hallelujah. You know? Everybody has something that's trying to pull you back to where you came yeah, from. Yeah. And so when the Wright brothers built the plane, and the book is built around the Wright brothers, when the Wright brothers built the plane, they built it in Dayton, Ohio. And they built it in a... Yeah, yeah Dayton! <laughs> Dayton! Dayton. There's three old ladies over the corner there from Dayton. They're so happy. I'm teasing, I can't even see. But uh, uh, they were in Dayton, Ohio. 
and they figured out they built the first plane in a bicycle shop they couldn't say to themselves well when I get what I need I'm going to build a plane we don't have a manufacturer we don't have any backing we don't have any money and by the way we don't even have a degree but none of that stopped them from building I wrote this book to people who don't have what they need okay I didn't really write the book to big time entrepreneurs because all of those books you're talking about they got them I wrote this book to people with big dreams and little resources. I wanted you to build your plane from a bicycle shop. And then they got it all built up and dated, and then they figured out something. And I can cite, I do in the book, I cite examples of things that I did that succeeded or failed off of this next thing. They said, we have to move to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. There were two reasons. One, if it came back down, it would fall in the brush and the landing would be better. And the second reason was the wind was right. There are times you can do the right thing in the wrong wind. Okay. Some of the things I tried didn't work because I didn't study the trend. I studied the plane, but I didn't study study the trend and the wind that's necessary. Success has a lot to do with wind. If Colonel Sanders came along today and started KFC today, he'd go broke. (laughs) Because today we're all worried about, you know, carbs and fat grams and all this stuff. I'm a vegetarian. You know, all of this stuff. We're reading the labels and all of that stuff. But he started his business at a time that women had just gone to work. And families were used to home-cooked meals. His business solved the problem. The stats say that people who go into business because they want money are apt to go out of business 80% of the time. People who go into business who are successful don't go into business based on their need. They go into business based on their customer's need. If, If your business or church or ministry solves a problem, it requires less marketing. You don't have to talk me into wanting something I need. But when I don't need it, you got to spend a whole lot of money talking me into something. So you want your business to be a solution. In fact, you want your life to be a solution. Nobody sends for a problem. They only send for an answer. If you're feeling lonely and you're feeling rejected, figure out how you can be an answer to somebody's problem and they'll always invite you. Because people invite answers, they repel problems. So when you come in a room giving problems, it is the most unsexy thing you can ever do in the world. It's true. Somebody far less cute can get much further than you because they don't moan and groan and complain. Really, when people ask you how you're doing, they don't really want an answer. We're not serious. Don't sit down there, well, I'm doing fairly well, but my knee is hurting and my back has been hurting from time to time. And when it rains, my eyes starts twitching. I got a little pain going on right here. It's driving me absolutely crazy. And I just don't know what in the world I'm going to do because I got a thumbnail growing over here. It's just, uh, uh, 
like that. That's why I didn't wear the shoes I wanted to wear with this stretch. Because, no, get out of here. Get out of here. Bring solutions. Bring solutions. Bring solutions. Bring solutions as a person. Bring solutions as a business. Bring solutions as a ministry. And you will always soar. When's the first time you saw yourself as a solution? I wrote Woman Now I Loose. And I didn't even know how to write a book. <laughs> really? No, I didn't know nothing about writing a book. I didn't know a thing about How old were you? In my 20s. In my 20s. Somewhere in my 20s. Uh, late 20s. I, I wrote the book in a PC study Bible notepad. Because I didn't know what a word processor was. So there was a friend of mine named Pastor Clifford Frazier who we were just getting into computers and stuff. Us old guys, we were getting 28 old guys. We were just getting into it. Uh, and, and he said, why did you write all of this in the notepad? He said, it'd be so much better if you wrote it in a word processor. I said, what's that? <laughs> I had written almost the whole book in the notepad of a PC study Bible. So it wasn't that I was proficient. It was that I had heard the cry of women who were hurting, sexually and emotionally abused, who were hidden in our churches at that time. And the church was ran by men who were deaf to the cry of the women. And when I heard their cry, I thought that there were biblical solutions to sociological and emotional issues. And so I started trying to get an answer out. And when I started teaching it, it was a Sunday school class. And more and more women came. And more and more women came. I didn't know it was going to be a movement. I didn't know it was going to be a book. I did it first as a Sunday school class. And then I called Archie Dennis and I told Archie, I'm teaching this class. And people are going crazy over it. I mean, my church is packed out. It's got like maybe 150 people. <laughs> 150 people meant some people were outside. That's my bicycle shop. Never laugh at my bicycle shop. Despise not the day of small beginnings. Great things come out of small places. The woman Art Loose came out of that bicycle shop. Okay? So I told Archie about it. Archie said, you should bring it to, you should bring it to Pittsburgh. You know, he had this big rich voice. Archie Dennis used to sing for Billy Graham and Morris Sorello and all those people. Oh, this big melodious voice. Bring it to Pittsburgh. And so he announced that I was going to bring it to Pittsburgh. No, no, he said, he, he said, I'm going to have you in Pittsburgh. And he says, what do you call it? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I'm on the phone with him. This is exactly the way it happened. I said, I don't know. Uh, I guess I'll call it Woman Iron Loose. That's what the Bible said. I'll call it Woman Iron Loose. He said, okay. So he announced that I was going to teach Woman Iron Loose. Like that. And so many women came, they had to move it out of the church into the hotel. So I took the CDs from the, from the Sunday school class and put it with the, they were the cassettes at the time, and put it with the cassettes, yeah, that's how old I am, and put it with the cassettes from Pittsburgh, and I had a two-tape series. And when I got ready to do the book, I uh, couldn't find a publisher that would do it. I finally found a publisher that would take my tapes and, and, and transcribe it into a book. But when I saw what they did with, with my answer, I got mad because it wasn't in my spirit. They were saying what women ought to do is such and such and what women ought to do. I, that was not my spirit. 
So out of desperation to protect the integrity of my spirit, I started pecking. And pecking and pecking and pecking. And nobody would publish what I was pecking. So I told my wife, see, I'm talking about things that would stop you. Okay, nobody wants to publish it. The first person who did it did it wrong. And now I'm, I've got all of this all of this stuff crammed in the species study Bible. And now I'm trying to pull it out and put it in a, a word machine. And, uh, and, and I told my wife, I said, nobody wants to publish it. And if I publish it myself, they want $15,000. Wow. $15,000 was all the money I had in the world. We were saving that money to get our first house. We didn't even own our house. And I was trying to get us a house. And I said, Sarita, I said, I want to publish this book. And it's going to mean that I have to drain our savings to do it. She said, that's okay. Wow. And so she uh, agreed and we took the 15000 And we published the book. And we got 5,000 copies. And I sold out in two weeks. So watch this. I didn't go out and buy me a suit, though I needed one. The lining had come out of my suit because she was washing it in the washing machine because we couldn't afford to go to the cleaners. So I didn't buy me a suit with it. I took the money and put it back in the business and published another 5,000. I had no idea that that book would end up selling over 5 million copies. Be translated into 10 different languages. Be known to this day around the world in places I have never been. And it all started in my little bicycle shop. So when I talk to you about the right brother soaring and catching the right wind, I'm talking to you about things I know that happened in my own life. I never let not having enough stop me from getting up. When you mentioned it's not where you want to go, it's what you give up to get there. What have you given up to get where you are that people in the room might be surprised to know? <laughs> it reminds me of a statement that somebody asked Catherine Kuhlman. Do you all know who Catherine Kuhlman is? Catherine Kuhlman was a woman preacher when women preachers weren't cool. And she was preaching in California, and some people are still not cool. And she was preaching in California and preaching for full gospel businessmen association. She was dramatic. Oh my God, look at him walking. The young man. Anyway, okay. So, I come out. It's the dramatic side of me. I do movies, so you know, what do you say? So, uh, uh, they asked her, how much did it cost to be who she was? And she laughed. She said, simply everything, darling. Simply everything. That was so true. When you start talking about, uh, I was walking through the airport when my ministry first started to explode. I was so distracted by the explosion that I didn't see the damage. An old preacher was coming through the airport in 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 Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, just thought of it, but then Charlie is just here. 
uh, when you live in West Virginia, if you wanted to go to heaven, you either had to go through Pittsburgh or Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was in Charlotte Airport, and, and this old bishop walked up to me, and he looked at me, and he shook his head. He said, oh, he said, you've lost something. And I thought, what that was? He said, you've lost something that you'll never be able to regain. I said, what is that? He said, normalcy. It took me about five years to unpack that simple conversation. That you become a target by people who have never met you. That they would say the most hideous things about you. That your children would suffer from the things they wrote about you trying to get uh, their points up in there, their Nielsen ratings up that they would eat you for dinner and save the story until sweeps month and drop it because you had a big audience so that they could get big ratings and that my kids would have to grow up in the middle of all of that. I was distracted by the explosion, but I would come to see the damage. I would see it in the tears of my children. The pregnancy of my daughter, the pains of my son, holding my wife in tears. And I would hold her in tears and preach faith and go home and lay down in a bed of fear. I said, God, where have you taken me? I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to tell you this, this will cost you an authority and free tonight. Tonight on Tell y'all, nobody else can hear this. Just hush y'all. Y'all go keep it. <clears throat> I almost quit. I'm a country boy. I'm from West Virginia. I don't know nothing about this big time stuff. I just, I never even asked to be big. I wanted to be effective, not famous. Famous is the consequences of being effective. I didn't know nothing about being famous and I didn't like it. And so there I was, and when you first knew, everybody attacks you first and figures you out later. Because though we say you're innocent until proven guilty, the reality is you're really guilty until proven innocent. But I didn't know that then, and I was young, upstart. You have to understand that you look at a 60-year-old man, but you're talking about something that's happening to a guy in his late 20s with little kids. And the first time I was in the Washington Post, the article was so vicious it made me nauseous. I was so shocked that you could say that stuff about somebody you didn't even know based on assumptions and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They piece it all together and you don't get the same thing back. So I decided I don't want this. I was preaching for Pastor Bishop Donnie Mears. And I was, nobody knew it because preachers can override their feelings and function. I preached the place was on fire, but inside I wanted to quit. I told God, I'm through with this. I'm not going through this. I don't need this. I don't, see, I don't need that. I'm, I'm a guy who likes to go get his own chicken wings. I don't have to have all of that stuff to be happy. Because I wasn't raised with it. I can make it. You can throw me in an apartment right. and give me just a, a little skillet, a cast iron skillet. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and some season salt and stuff in a couple of ways. I will run you out of here. I will run you out. Okay. Okay. 
I said, I'm not doing this no more. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this because I don't need this and I didn't ask for this. I'm only doing this because of, of what happened in my life, of the circumstances that happened in my life. He put me on stage. I didn't ask for it. And when I saw how much it cost, I thought, you can have that right back here. You can have that right back up in here. I don't need it. So I was mad inside. I was hurt. And uh, I stayed up in the fellowship with the pastors because I didn't want to go back to my room and sulk in my own sorrows. And they said, there's a lady downstairs waiting to see you. The service was over and the fellowship was over. The pastors were starting to leave. I was trying to outweigh her. I thought she'd give up and leave. And when I finally came down the steps, she was there. And she was just a willowy bit of a woman. And uh, she said, Bishop Jakes, she said, uh, I've been in the hospital. She said, uh, I was pregnant in my fallopian tubes. And the baby died in my tubes. And I was carrying around a dead baby. And the toxicity from the baby almost killed me. And she said, the only thing that kept me alive was hearing you preach. She said, if you hadn't have been preaching to me every day, I swear I would have died. And then she looked at me and she said, it's for us. It's not for them. It's for us. It hit me so hard. I didn't even get her name. I got in the car and cried all the way back to my room. Because she reminded me why I was there. God bless you. I pray that that has been an inspiration to you. Remember this. Do not miss your turn, your opportunity. Jesus is on our side. And it's not for them. It's for us. He placed you on this earth with the purpose. Find it and do it. And don't stop. Until the wheels fall off and then keep going. God bless you. I'm Joshua Cooper and I'm praying for you. And remember, Jesus is on our side. Bye bye.